0: welcome to study grow know where we discuss theology prophecy and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective here's your host dr fred deruvo without disrespecting the nuances and certainly the volume of his teachings everything jesus taught is ultimately distilled down to the difference between choosing the path of humility Versus the path of self exaltation. Now, in fact, Jesus summarized the entire law and prophets in citing the greatest commandment and the second. He said, quote, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Matthew 22 40. In a recent article, I allowed self that I wrote last week, I allowed self to escalate a situation instead of allowing it to peter out to nothing. And afterwards, swallowing my pride or denying self, I admitted my failure and apologized. Now, fortunately, the other party was gracious and forgiving. However, a number of days had passed before I was able to get with the other party and offer my apology in person. And during that time, as you might imagine, I felt miserable. I was also on the receiving end of numerous spiritual attacks, complete with false accusations from the enemy, as you might imagine. The only thing I could do was throw myself on the Lord's continual mercy. I spent much time repeating Psalm 145, 17 through 20, and prayed it often in order to help my mind focus on him and his truth. And these are the verses. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Now, when I consider the ramifications of the truth I just quoted to you, it clearly tells me that God is righteous, he is gracious, and willing to help if I come to him in truth— With honest repentance, verse 18 tells us that he is near to all who call upon him. But the caveat is that he is near to those who come to him in truth. We cannot try to hide our motives or excuse ourselves when we sin, resulting in broken fellowship with him. He will restore fellowship if we are honest with him, since he knows the truth about us anyway. And the more I considered all of this, the more it really began to dawn on me. And in essence, this is kind of a continuation from my previous article. We are all familiar with Jesus's teaching regarding the narrow and wide gates of Matthew 7, 13 through 14. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it? Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, we could actually rename those gates, again, without disrespecting our Lord, from narrow and wide to humility and self exaltation. This is exactly why the narrow humility gate is so difficult. As Jesus tells us in verse 14, who among us has an easy time walking away from self to embrace humility? I don't. And there are too many incidents in my life proving it. It's not wrong to remember these types of situations either, because they should serve as markers in our lives, not points of condemnation. And please don't get me wrong. God does not want us to beat ourselves up continually over these previous incidents where we allowed self to be exalted because we're no longer under any condemnation, Romans 8, 1, and 2. Those incidents in our past should only serve to remind us what we shouldn't be doing, Quote, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. By the way, commentators... Disagree over whether or not who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit, whether that phrase should be there or if it should only be in the verses later. Was it was a scribal error, we don't know. But the gist of it is that as we are in Christ with salvation, becoming a new creature in Him, we're not condemned. In my phone, I keep several pictures of myself when I was severely overweight. I was literally morbidly obese and my health was severely compromised. Years later, after losing nearly 90 pounds and getting my body back to good health, I will sometimes take a quick gander at those photos to remind myself what I was and could become again if I'm not careful. Those photos help me to stay on the right eating path to continued good health. I don't beat myself over the up over the fact that I was obese. I don't condemn myself for that. I actually marvel that I am where I am now with the Lord's help. This is where He wants me to be, and I partner with Him by continually denying self to ensure that I remain at this place of health. However, sometimes it gets away from me, and I have to, again, remind myself where I should be. So when Jesus tells us to enter into the narrow path and then states that it is difficult in Matthew 7, 14, he wants us to know ahead of time that becoming a Christian does not immediately eliminate the desire to sin, practically speaking, in daily life. Receiving salvation does not immediately, completely, and forever change our desires in life once and for all. Entering into the narrow gate onto... The narrow path beyond that gate begins the process of progressive sanctification, which will continue for the remainder of our lives on earth. So progressive sanctification, as explained by the folks that got questions, is a three-stage process, something that we don't often consider or think about, but we should. Here's what they say. Sanctification is a three-stage process—past, present, and future. The first stage occurs at the beginning of our Christian lives. It is an initial moral change, a break from the power and love of sin. It is the point at which believers can count themselves dead to sin but alive to God, Romans 6.11. Once sanctification has begun, we are no longer under sin's dominion. Romans 6.14, there is a reorientation of our desires and we develop a love for righteousness. Paul calls it slavery to righteousness, Romans 6.17 and 18. The second stage of sanctification, they continue, requires a lifetime to complete. As we grow in grace, we are gradually but steadily changing to be more like Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3.18. This occurs in a process of daily spiritual renewal, Colossians 3.10. The Apostle Paul himself was being sanctified even as he ministered to others. Paul claimed that he had not reached perfection, but that he pressed on to attain everything Christ desired for him, Philippians 3.12. The third and final stage of sanctification occurs in the future. When a believer dies, their spirits go to be with Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8. Since nothing unclean can enter heaven, Revelation 21, 27, we must be made perfect at that point. The sanctification of the whole person, body, soul, and spirit— will finally be complete when the Lord Jesus returns and we receive glorified bodies. Philippians 3.21, 1 Corinthians 15.35-49." So, in this life, we walk through the first stage to receive salvation. Then, we spend the rest of our lives living in stage two of progressive sanctification. After we leave this life, we ultimately gain the third stage because Jesus provides us with a new, sin-free, glorified body fit for the kingdom of heaven. In essence, then, this is what entering through the narrow humility gate and onto the narrow humility path ultimately means. I'm simply summarizing it to say that in everything we do, think, and say— We should turn our backs on and deny self at every turn. That is the difficult part of this. Why do we sin? Because we don't seek humility, but self-exaltation instead. It's that simple to understand, but it takes a lifetime to develop a consistent practice. And even there, unfortunately, we will never be completely free of self's desires to take charge in this life. We saw this with Moses, who spent nearly his entire adult life serving the Lord with diligence and abject humility. Quote, Numbers 12:3 says, "Now the man Moses was very humble more than all men who were on the face of the earth." Now, one might ask, how could Moses have been that humble since he actually wrote that about himself in the book of Numbers? Well, the answer is that God directed him to write it. And seeing Moses' life proves to us that he was humble at every turn, except the one time that unfortunately kept him out of the promised land. He should have known better because he'd been living the life of humility for years. Yet it simply goes to show us that we can't ever let our guards down. And when we do, Self will exalt, as Moses allowed in Numbers 20. In spite of Moses having lived obediently and humbly before God for many years, he made a fatal mistake and he reaped the consequences or the rewards, quote unquote, of that decision to exalt self. And it can happen to anyone Living the life of a Christian, actively engaged in seeking him through humility and not giving sin or self the opportunity to gain dominance, is much easier said than done. This is why, when Christians do make mistakes through sin, humility should cause us to make it right, regardless of how self might rebel and provide excuses. While we can't undo what we did, we can do what we can to make things right. And again, return to the path of humility. Walking the difficult path of the narrow humility road requires constant communion with God. It requires us to be involved in his word, reading it, memorizing it, repeating it to ourselves. Walking the path of humility means we think of ourselves last, or better yet, not at all, as we submit to him and his will at every turn. Anyone who says this is not difficult is either lying to themselves or deceived because it is sometimes tremendously difficult to live out, practically speaking. Self yearns to be exalted and hates to admit failure. Refer to Luke twenty-two thirty-nine 39 through 44 to remind yourself of Jesus's own struggle yet without sin the night before he faced crucifixion. The Garden of Gethsemane. Now, by giving careful attention to the decisions we make every day, many times throughout each day, we ultimately have only two options serve self or serve God. We cannot do both at the same time. Christians must diligently be serving God if we are going to call ourselves Christians. Each time we choose the correct choice, denying self, we gain. Reward, don't we? That reward is an increase in humility. Now, if we instead follow the demands of self, well, that results in an increase in self exaltation and broken fellowship with God because of sin. So, how to avoid sin and self and increase humility? By focusing on the positive reward, which in itself is increased humility, which then becomes the impetus to ignore temptation and do what is right. So we're not focusing on not sinning. We focus instead on gaining humility. Do you understand the difference? By focusing on gaining greater humility, we grow in Christ. By focusing on greater self-exaltation, we grow in self And sin. It's always one or the other. Those are the two opposing ideologies that strive for our attention and seek to direct us humility or self exaltation. A person can try to do, say, and think the right thing by sheer self effort. Notice the word self is in there, but that's a deception. And we can see that doing so means allowing self to direct our steps and glorify itself, dishonoring God. God, however, wants us to do something a little bit different. He wants us first to submit to him in all things, to admit that in and of ourselves, we can't do it and we need his help, enabling an empowerment to leave self behind and treat it as though it is dead, Romans six eleven. So here is the, the caveat. Here's what we can take away. Here's where the rubber meets the road, I think. You let me know if this gels with you focusing on the reward of greater humility gets the job done rather than focusing on not sinning. If I may, I believe that's why Jesus said his burden is light and easy to bear, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Our correct focus, greater humility, not I don't want to sin, Our greater focus brings things into perspective. And here's uh, from Matthew. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Such a simple thought, isn't it? Difficult to put into consistent practice. Yet this is what Jesus did. If we truly believe we are followers of Christ and that's what we tell people, then we have to do the same thing. Thanks so much for joining me today. And I pray until we meet again that God would open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical conservative perspective.